Before you listen to the episode, know that I've been going back and forth on whether I should be releasing this episode or not. Let's see how this episode does, and maybe we'll do a follow-up talking about some of the topics that weren't covered in this episode. All feedback is welcome and appreciated. Enjoy. Welcome to the show, Rachel Goldschmidt, Peleg, sister. Thank you so much for having me. So exciting to be back on the show. Yes, the first time you were on was for the hair covering series. We did two Hanukkahs ago. So the reason I'm doing this episode is because I wanted to have a conversation, a very casual conversation with somebody who listens and has lots Since of to every episode, I wait for Tuesdays just for the episode to drop. And I'm so grateful to you because I work every week. So there is an episode every Tuesday. And I wanted there to be an episode talking about this podcast and what it has evolved into and what it represents. So, yeah. Do you have anything to add to this intro? Yes. You're, the podcast is such a big thing. And I will discuss how it evolved from it started off as this music entity where we were interviewing musicians, artists. Kalisha was a very big thing, how to make money out of art in the firm world. That was definitely the big focus. And I loved it even then, even though I'm not a musician and I'm not a singer. And still, every person you interviewed, it was so, so fascinating to hear. And then slowly after that, I think you added the No More Silence segment, right? That was the yeah. first thing that went out when you left the box of musicians, which was like a very, very revolutionary for when you started. It wasn't being discussed a lot. And it was before some of the major scandals that hit the firm world. So it was very major. And you provided this incredible platform for people to come and share their stories, which for me was very unique and incredible about this podcast is that you get to basically go with the person who's talking, live their, hear their perspective, be in their shoes, experience their life, their Shabbos, their meals, their seminary experience, and then go through that crazy traumatic or amazing experience and it is so relatable because it could be such crazy issues that you might read about or talk about. But here you really get to experience it firsthand. And the experience of experiencing firsthand through this podcast, that's really what is the catalyst for being able to broaden your horizon, to change your perspectives on stuff, to really like, in the true sense of the word, make you more open-minded. For example, surrogacy. I always thought it's problematic, like who does it, whatever. And then the episode changed my whole perspective on it. It really was a true chesed for the family that she was able to do it and what she did. And it, and it was so different than anything I've ever heard. And I really felt like, whoa, perspective, like the way in, in the clock you have gears shifting in my mind, like as I was listening to that episode, it's like the gear is actually shifting. Whoa, I, I would have never thought that. I would have never even, I never even really thought about it too much. But just conversations you have and what you read and what you hear. And then hearing from somebody who's from and who experienced it and who provided that kind of chesed, it was, it was, yeah. It's funny you mentioned the surrogacy episode because I have a love and hate relationship with Mishbacha magazine. <laughs> and one of the times I was like, I'm getting over myself. Let me go and put in some ads. It was before Pesach. Let's, let me promote the Francisca show. The people reading Mishpacha are really the people who would enjoy, I think, and appreciate this episode. Not everybody, but I think there would be a lot of people. Anyway, it was the exact week the surrogacy episode came out. I asked them for their pricing. I said, before I go and start making ads, can you just get approval that you're not going to, after I do all that work, they won't say it's, we can't put it in. So she went to the rabbi. 
And then she was like, yeah, it's fine. And then like a day later, oh, it's not fine. So that, that episode <laughs> like, is the one nobody... that made it like not kosher enough to, for your ads to go into Mishbacha. I think it was that week. And the rabbi looked at the first few episodes that came up when he Googled it. Or Was that the time when you started like really going out of the box and interviewing those more taboo subjects? Well, I think No More Silence and Sexual Abuse kind of broke that. <laughs> yeah. Well, from Mother by Choice, I think that was before. That was the right. mother, the woman who froze her eggs and had a baby on her own through a fertility clinic who had her rabbi's blessing and guidance. The Chaim Walder episodes, the LGBT. So there were some episodes before. Mm -hmm. What would you say the Francisca show represents when it comes to topics. I know I use the words, the untold stories, topics, or experiencing I issues. I feel like firsthand. what it represents, it's that, you know, we live life, we're li we live all of us in our respective bubbles, and, and we live life. And then certain issues happen, and certain challenges happen, and obstacles, and people go through their stuff, and it's a very lonely experience, especially in our bubbles, where a lot of these experiences are extremely lonely and it could be postpartum. It could be miscarriages. It could be, there's, there's really like an endless array of experiences that in our very positive existence, we just don't talk about. It's like not popular to fetch. And especially if it's something that borders on something more tempo, then you might feel shame and you don't want to ruin anyone's reputation. So what your podcast offers is that you get to stay in your world and yet you get to basically dissect these issues, but in your own comfort zone. And you get to hear people with your same accent, with your same, same language and vernacular, but dealing with those experiences. So for example, when the episode with mommy and Esty, which was one of the biggest episodes, what is the goggles of that? And I remember like the amount of feedback you were hit with. Mommy was hit with, I was hit with, it was like, it was major. What is it? A mother and daughter discussing their struggle over expectations of a parent and the child not meeting those expectations and the tension between those two things and the pain and the effects on the family dynamics because of this and how it affects the rest of the siblings. And it was, I don't know how many years that tension lasted at the height of it, but it was this big thing. And this is an hour long conversation where you have several siblings and the mother going through this and talking it through. And it is so familiar. I mean, for me specifically, it's my siblings and my parents obviously feels very at home, but I'm sure for so many people. And the reason I got so much feedback was it was so relatable and you can relate both to the child and to the parent. It's funny. It's different people relate to the different side of the dynamic more. And that episode provided both of those, both of those characters to relate to. I mean, when you read a really, really good book, what is so good about it is the relatability aspect of it. And the podcast offers you that it's. It's live. It's nonfiction. It's real. People are lying on the It's like being floor. in somebody's living room or kitchen or bedroom. Exactly. It's like you're inside someone's <laughs> kitchen with the people, with the dirt. Yeah. And, and that's, it's a very intimate thing. And at the same time, that's really what gives the most chizuk is when you really get, when you say the truth, when you're authentic and we're not just pretending everything is Baruch Hashem, great. I mean, yeah, it is, but it's hard sometimes. And sometimes it's Baruch Hashem terrible. <laughs> But um, so what's interesting about that episode is that it was the first and last conversation that our mother and our sister had about this topic. I think it provided a certain element of closure to this topic. 
I think perhaps I mean, you can have any therapist sit with that conversation and hear how much was discussed there. The sense of humor and the tears and the pain. I mean, so much was there. And also, I feel like the conversation, the vulnerability, vulnerability could only be held after so many years. It's not a fresh topic. And it wasn't the first time SNES was discussed on that episode. We had the post SNES stress disorder panel. We had Dr. Block from France slash New York who did his dissertation on SNES. But I think it was in this casual forum that, that that was the... Also the newness of the dynamic of a mother and daughter. I don't think Mishpacha... I know I keep going back to Mishpacha, but think about other podcasts. I don't think this dynamic has been discussed yet. And that's what I seek in the podcast. I'm trying to find not the latest celebrity I could interview, but what topics haven't been unlayered yet and how can i find them for sure it hasn't been taken yeah no for sure you, you, it's it's very original well not in the name of being original but in the name of providing a certain product that does not exist and that's what makes it unique and so incredible and it's it's following my curiosity and also that episode is that sorry for interrupting you could take basically it's out and substitute it with any other any other thing that defies the parents expectations you become a parent with all these ethos and goals in life, and then your child doesn't fulfill A, B, C, or D, and you can just substitute anything you want, and you can have a very similar conversation. What episodes did you pass along to your friends the most? So the postpartum one, I, I remember forwarding that to a bunch. That's the easiest one. I didn't have to forward it. I got the feedback without it. I, I need to kind of look through the list because I, I forward them so often. I loved one of the last ones was about Elanit. For me, that was very personal. And I, I, I'm curious, so what was the feedback for you um, on that? I think the people who participated in Elanit or were audience members of the concerts from years ago, I think those were the people who sent in feedback. <laughs> I can guess many people who are interested in the regular topics, this on par with what their interests yeah. are. So I found the No More Silence episodes, I found them, they were very difficult to listen to, but at the same time, they, I'm listening, how, how long, how old is your podcast at this point? Five, six years? Seven. Seven five. years. Wow. So, I, so I've been following you weekly for seven years and it wasn't weekly at the beginning, but yeah, two years in, I think it became a weekly thing. It became consistent. It was twice a month. It was some of the hardest things I've ever heard and some of the things that really struck me and put so much fear on me that even today, so many things that I do as a parent is the awareness that I got from those No More Silence episodes. I feel like there's a lot of awareness value in them. They shook you to your <laughs> core. Were, yeah, <laughs> no, it, it makes you realize how rampant it is and how easy access one can have and, and how no, no one is safe. If you haven't experienced it firsthand or you don't know somebody close to who experienced it, you kind of feel like you're okay. Like you're going to get through. And then you hear these stories and you're like, well, that happened to them. So, and it makes you realize you really need to take precautions. Can you ask me why I started the No More Silence series? Yes. Well, <laughs> absolutely. Brady, why did you, what made you want to start this? Or for your forum that was basically focusing on musicians to, for survivors? Somehow in my brain, the feeling of not having a space or a voice within our community 
was very parallel between the experience of a musician and the experience of survivors. It felt like it's that same reaction, that same taboo reaction from community members, from family members to just like not deal with it or brush it off as this is what God wants from you when it comes to not using your voice or, you know, just be a little bit less. And then survivors deal with that a lot, which is like, why do you have to bring this up? Or why do you have to stir the pot and cause trouble? Which is not what they're doing. Trouble was caused to them. I never knew this. (laughs) The thought came to me, I woke up one morning and I was like, I'm doing this. And then I asked our, our neighbor, we still live in the one of the condos we lived in, he, he was in law school. And I asked him what legal things do I need to have in mind? And yeah, so it came down to not having minors. I've, I've interviewed several guests who either asked me to take down their episodes. And those were usually guests in, earlier on in their healing stage, which is why now I I'll recommend against coming on the show if they are earlier on. Even though coming on a show and starting to share your story is also part of the healing process for many, from what I heard. Right. As much as I am a safe space, I'm not a therapist. So I think doing this with a therapist or with somebody who's trained, I I don't want to substitute that experience for them. Should we talk about some of the behind the scenes experiences? So, yeah, I'm always curious. Sometimes I start hearing like I'm just in the middle of my life plugging in the AirPods and starting to hear this incredible guest with this incredible story. And I'm like, where did you find this person? And how did you even think of finding this person? Like, really, do you have someone in mind? Sure. Where does the idea pop in? And then how does it come to fruition in the process of that? Great question. I'm happy I suggested it. <laughs> Taking a full course. <laughs> my audience online and through this podcast, play a big part in what happens on the podcast. It's almost like I created this thing and now it runs itself. It doesn't run itself, but it's leading the train that I'm driving. So I don't know where this is going to go. Somebody will suggest a topic, then somebody else. So for example, I look for the topics, not for the people. So some the way I'll get guests, I'll post a bunch of topics on Facebook and on Instagram, on my stories, and people will either recommend other people or volunteer themselves. And sometimes there is something that's brewing inside of me, and I'm really curious. And I work on a guest, and I nurture them for a few months or a year. Like, mommy, I had to, I worked on her for a year to do that episode. In the end, she was sitting on my couch on one of her visits to the States, I said, can we please do this? And she said, I can't do this without Esty's permission. What if she hears this? What what is it going to do to her? And then I said, let's ask her for her permission because we considered doing it anonymously and then changing her her voice. And then I I don't know if my mother, mommy suggested that, but she said, why don't we invite her onto the conversation? And she said, yes, because Esty has no fear. Fearless. (laughs) She says, yes. And she's fearless. Yeah. That was something I had to nurture and ask and beg for. Another topic that comes to mind is that episode I interviewed Ben Moalem, Benjamin Moalem, the single man about his dating experiences. And 
I also had to nurture him or ask him follow up every couple of months. And my motivation to interview him was because I, I know a few of the women he went out with and I know how it ended. And I really wanted to know what is going on inside this person's brain, like what what happens there? And I really learned a lot. And then one of the people who went out with him, she reached out to me. Oh, I listened to the episode and said, I did this for you a little bit, you know, <laughs> I, so you could get some closure. But obviously, I did it for me because I, I was curious. And my platform really gives me the permission to ask anyone to a conversation where I get to ask them anything. No, and also, well, a specific episode, I feel like that provided a lot of validation, both for women and for men who have been dating for either a long time or dated that somebody with with that kind of thinking and attachment theory or commitment issues. <laughs> um, There's actually a book that just came out. It, it's called The Case Against the Sexual Revolution. By this British lady? Yes, Louis Perry. And I really want to have her on. I reached out, but I don't think she's going to respond. I heard her on a podcast. I, th I heard her twice on a podcast. I heard her on a podcast. Yeah. And one of the things she says after six months, if it's not, if you can't commit, then he won't be able to commit. That was, her, I think that was her timeline. And translating that into the Yeshivish world. <laughs> or maybe it was in a movie that I watched. Who knows? But I really want to explore that topic more. So if anyone listening has has read the book and wants to comment or knows her somehow can get her on I think that would be a very interesting topic to go into because it argues against all the culture all the western culture around sexuality that we were all raised in parallel to our Jewish lives anyway that episode with Ben inspired the follow-up ending on the next episode that Esty came on and shared her piece so that has happened a lot, specifically with Esty, but we've had that when I had um, that coach, Coach Shlomo Jesmer, and then Anna Sherman, a therapist, came on and just hated on everything he said. I remember that. I asked him for permission or like I gave him notice, coach. something along those lines. Yes. Yes. That was very interesting. <laughs> and and that, that's part of like the ping pong table, you know, it's, it's going back and forth. You come in with certain right. it's ideas and certain understandings of stuff. And then you hear people from pretty much your own world sharing something, something you've never, ever heard of. And, and you don't have to accept it, but at least, you know, there's a new, there, there's another stance. <laughs> That's why it's so much fun because it's like this constant growth. And sometimes I hear certain things and I'm like, no, but glad to know it exists. Like what? Surrogacy. So surrogacy, halakhically, I'm sure it's very complicated and I never learned it halakhically. So I don't, I really do not know anything about surrogacy. I just know that emotionally it is really complicated for a woman to carry a child and then have to give it away. So I just, that, that is the only part I ever, that's all I knew about surrogacy. I know I'm sure there's tons of halakha on it, which I did never learn. But the way your interviewer spoke about it, it sounded like the purest kinds of chesed that she was able to give a couple, another firm couple that wasn't able to conceive after 11 years and thanks to her they were able to have and they went in with the scum of their rabbanim and she was able to to provide a child for them their own child so it's weird and it's crazy and it's uh technology and whatnot but like just to hear someone from our own community did that what episodes do you feel like oh they said that but it's not relevant to me or i disagree the episode 
one of the, ep- the LGBTQ episodes could have been like a rabbi who has L- an LGBT show. Rabbi Mike Moskowitz. He said, oh, this is part of our world and we have to educate our kids with that. Now, when I was hearing, I was like, I'm, but I'm not going to tell my four-year-old about it. Like, <laughs> it was a couple of years ago. But certain things he was saying, I just I didn't feel relatable in a way that just the mainstream living in this community can take. It was like it's taking things that even in, if you go to the most outer, outer world, I mean, that they're just exploring everything. So to take it to the most inner conservative from circle and then immediately start taking things that people are outside or experimenting with and start putting it into your early childhood. So that, so that I heard that and I immediately like we tend to have a very sheltering type of childhoods. Let's make a note to talk about the conversation with the Palestinian. Did, did any, you ever have any reach out with the Palestinian? I, I was, when I was going through the episodes today, I wondered about that. Got a lot of listens, and I think it's the only episode Daddy, our father, ever listened to, and he was shepping nachas. That's the feedback I got. So that was for an episode, for example, that was for me was out of my comfort zone to listen to, <laughs> and that's good sometimes, you know, to go out of your comfort zone and not just listen to things that a lot of your episodes you have to go out of your comfort zone to listen to, which is, <laughs> but that was like transnational, you know. <laughs> like totally taking your entire view of the existence of your people and your homeland and everything and just putting yourself in a perspective. I mean, I read books from Palestinian perspectives, but I, I don't know. It was, so I don't, I would have to listen to it again. But of course, there were things that you said that I disagreed with. But I was very impressed with how you handled the conversation. I'm curious, though, post-October 7th. I reached out to her, actually. I, I didn't say much, but I wanted to acknowledge that there's a... A dynamic. She was very appreciative. What I ended up learning after speaking to Fanny Sukenik was that the Israeli Palestinians are in a very awkward position because if they stand up against Hamas, pro-Israel, they get marked and they put their safety at risk. They cannot speak pro-Israel and feel safe if they are pro-Hamas to like for cover, let's say ideologically then they're risking that they're putting themselves against Israel. So they're sort of in this mixed middle place. I think of it like the Russians who just don't have freedom of speech or freedom of opinion. So I, yeah, I also so think it's, it's diverse. Just stay silent. I feel like I'm sure you have both. And I, I don't know the numbers. I don't know the polls. Definitely on Twitter, I'm following a, a few Israeli Arabs who are, and even there's someone in Gaza who's, who's really very, very anti-Hamas. And I don't know if he's in Gaza right now, because otherwise he would be able to be tweeting from there. But when it comes to Israeli Arabs, just from the past three months, the feeling is, is that when it comes down to it, they are aware that they do have a good life. I've watched so many interviews of people asking them, who do you want to be in charge of you? An Arab government or an Israeli government? And they always say, with the Israeli government, we have better pensions, better social welfare. So, so there's a certain awareness that they, they look around and they see that definitely living in the West Bank and Gaza is so much worse. You don't have to look far outside of West Bank and Gaza to see in the rest of the Middle East. Most, there, there are no democratic states. Israeli Arab women can drive. They can get driver's licenses. That's also pretty incredible. And you drive through Arab Israeli towns. They're, they're gorgeous. They're beautiful. I'm not whitewashing, honestly, their racial tensions, their issues. Definitely. But when it comes down to like real rights, affirmative action, and then during Ramadan, they try to work towards you and you get longer time during your exams because they realize you're you're Arabic and Hebrew is your second language. And the country is doing a lot to try to bridge those gaps in the corporate world, in academia. 
and also in the blue collar industries. But then, and not to sound basic, but then it's like you're Muslim and your Muslim brothers and gods are suffering right now. So where does your loyalty lie? And I feel like that's the question or was like when I was in the hospital where so much of the staff because of the war, 99% of the staff was Arab. So I had some very good interactions with some of the people that were taking care of me. And then I had some really negative interactions and, and you could totally pinpoint the, you could feel the national hatred there. And it's like someone's putting an IV and I'm just like going through Twitter and reading such pro Hamas stuff. And then I'm wondering, were you celebrating October 7th or were you not? Like, and I, and as I'm getting like someone sticking a needle in my vein, I'm just wondering like, what, what's going through your mind? So certain interactions, I felt there was kind and respect and it was mutual. But then in other interactions, I, I, I was wondering, like, when it came to October 7th, were, were you happy? Or did you feel like, no, this is wrong? Right. So I don't, okay. I don't know. I didn't take any polls. I, I didn't see. But I, I'm curious that there's a certain understanding that life is good. And then at the same time, our Muslim brothers who are living several kilometers away are suffering at the hands of. I want to cover some other episodes that did very well. We had the Heimwalder three episodes that came out. Can you remind me? I remember there was one that you had taken down that was requested to be taken down. And when he reached out, I knew that's exactly what he was asking me to do. It was two in the morning in Israel. So, I'm so like, sorry for and he was calling me and I'm like, yep. And there was also like, you got such an inner scoop and then you had to take it down. I'm happy I got that inner scoop and he gave me an extra day. So I posted and saying, if you want to listen to this, uh, make sure to do it now. And it also gave you understanding of how what's evolving also, just to see how hard it is. I told him I'm a little offended because you thought I was, that no one listens to my show. That's why you said yes. And then when you realized you were getting pushback from wherever it was coming from to the point where you wanted to take it down. I took that as a compliment. The first episode was with an abuse survivor, not Chaim Wilders, who was very I triggered. I remember. Who felt suicidal. Barclay, right? He describes horrible abuse. Abused by his revenge. And he described how Chaim Wilder killing himself was such a cop-out and how it was so triggering for him. And, and, and he was trying to prevent his own suicide, and then seeing this suicide. There were other... There was a girl that committed suicide a day later. Yeah, there were suicides that followed that suicide. Like, there was such a domino effect of anyone who was personally affected by... That's a topic I actually really want to cover. I had someone I've been nurturing for a while, but she said she's not ready. So if anyone else has any experience with that, unfortunately... It's incredible how much of this nurturing and how much of this work goes. <laughs> I, like, you have no idea. You just come in, you click on the podcast. Oh, great. 40 minutes, an amazing episode. Oh, it's too bad. It's too short. Okay, next one, you know. And the episodes are longer. I cut them down. I have to give it to you that the episodes are extremely thought-provoking. I carry the episode with me for a long time after I listen to it. Thank you. I get a lot of messages about how it makes people think or gives them access to a world they're in, but they don't know anyone else in that world or similar worlds. People send me these messages with super long <laughs> Lots of information that I can't really follow half the time because it's in that guest's expertise. So I appreciate the feedback and very often I connect them with the guest. And I had that with that OCD episode. I got somebody a few months after that episode to say how he was struggling with OCD and he gave up on it. And then after listening to that episode, he decided he's going to give a last push and try therapy again. And I don't know if he found a different therapist or reached out to Jet C. So that's another, on. another element, which is amazing that 
Okay, so you have a person who is struggling with OCD and he's listening to this person who started an organization to help people with OCD. I personally that was Gail Frankel. Yeah. So I yeah. I don't have OCD and I don't have anyone in my inner orbit that has it. Yeah, after listening to that episode, suddenly I became aware of this struggle that it exists and it is so hard. And if I will come across it and I will suddenly come into my inner orbit, they're just you provide those episodes provide a lot of tools, is my point. It's not just informative. It's not just widening your scope of the world. It's there are actually so many tools. And even if it's 20 years from now, I will remember that there was that person who understands the firm world, understands OCD in the firm world. Right. It's an amazing resource. You could see it in somebody else's behavior and, and let them know there's help out there. Exactly. So there's a lot of that that has gone on behind the scenes. A lot of it, I don't know, I'm sure. But some of it, people are nice enough to let me know that nice things happen from the episodes. I want to touch upon... I want to touch upon the WhatsApp group. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yes, I personally, I left it, but I want to rejoin. I left it right after the war started because someone had made a comment criticizing what Israel was doing. And we're dealing with so much criticism outside of Israel. If you're from lady living in America, you cannot be criticizing Israel. Right now. You just can't. And I, it was Arab Shabbos and it was two weeks into the war and we we're all going through the trauma of October 7th at that point. And I said, Freddie, I love you. I love the podcast, but just for my own emotional health, I needed this connect. But three months later, I, I do miss the conversations and there were such good conversations. I, I was a very active participant. So <laughs> well, you're welcome to come back join with your permission. It's a very quiet group. And then once in a while, it, it's on Ignite. fire. But when it does reignite, and there's a lot of good quality stuff going on. I really enjoyed, even if I wouldn't be necessarily responding to, you're hearing lots of, it's very diverse. The credit to this WhatsApp group was that you really had a lot of diverse opinions and we tried to be respectful as much as possible. But most often when you go into a certain WhatsApp group, it's groupthink. Like whatever people are thinking, everyone basically saying, yeah, we have thing. a lot of diverse opinions, very loud ones. And you have one person saying something else and everyone's going to jump on them. And then you're basically like, I'm out, you know, in your episode, this WhatsApp group was a nice range. And, and that, that's unique. That's really unique to be able to capture so many different voices. I appreciate the diversity of opinions and backgrounds that the people come from and that want to participate in the same conversations. We actually formed a committee that's called the Honors and Ethics Committee. And there are several people on that committee. Is there a And I don't know if I'm allowed to. Uh, he's not. I think his hands are full. He definitely contributes behind the scenes and will contact me when things are. And there's several people who help with that. So I have admins on the group who help remove. We had a lot of bots and they were posting inappropriate links. So I had to remove the link. We were changing the link. And then it was just text me or email me if you'd like to join the group, which limited the growth. Is that a good sign that your WhatsApp is breaking and growing, that it becomes a victim to cyber stuff? Well, I think bots are just attacking links that are created. Oh. And I would like to be flattered by that. I don't know for sure, but I knew I, knew I had to change it. But it did limit the growth of the group itself because people have to reach out to join it. But we have admins who participate in making sure I don't want censorship. I want there to be freedom of expression of opinions, but there has to be some moderating. There has to be respect. When people start mocking and becoming very derogatory, then it becomes problematic. The language of Twitter, everyone's just trying to be more sarcastic and disgusting than the other. 
And in an inner community WhatsApp group, you, you do want to be able to have a respectful language. But at the same time, you want to have free speech. That means I was once on a certain WhatsApp group and I was genuinely and respectfully sharing an opinion that differed from the majority of the opinion of the WhatsApp group. And privately, somebody reached out to me and said, with all due respect, I know much more on this topic. And I don't know what the expression was, but we're shutting this down for now. I was like, what? I was taken aback because with all due respect, I actually had a lot of sources into what I was saying. And those were not any worse sources than hers. Like I was quoting a Moraim and Tanayim and Hamafel Virgil Khanarach. And I did it with all genuine and respect. And my goals were the same as hers to help the state of the world. And I was very, very disappointed. And I left the group. I'll just say the names of the admins. We have Mary Zafir, Joseph Rosenberg, Simcha Kranzer, and Tanya Ohana. The committee is, is held of Eli Nadov, Mark Trencher, and Hannah Weinstock-Newberger, and myself. The questions we deal with are if somebody complains about my title being too graphic and triggering, you know, should I be taking it down or not? We have to deal with if there is a pedophile in our group, should we remove him just for being in it? Wow. That's why I formed the committee. <laughs> and if, if the person is listening to this episode right now, I know that until you violate, you're allowed to listen, basically, you're allowed to participate. We're not giving you an aliyah. And we're not offering you access to children. So if you'd like to learn and listen, listen. And you know what? When Mendy Pellin came out with his episode, and I know there was a lot of discussion around that on the, on the chat, I was, I, I was a little jealous, <laughs> I have to admit, because I don't know if I would have said no if I had the opportunity to do that, because I do want to grow. I do want to host conversations that haven't been hosted before. I know he got a lot of heat for it. I know people are still judging and I invited him on to the podcast after Gershon got arrested by one of his victims who came out after he did that interview. Mendy refused for now. He said he doesn't want to add fuel to the fire. So I put a hold on that. Maybe he'll come on another time. So we have the committee and I want to thank the committee members and our admins. Some of our other hot topics that have been covered on the show are get refusers and divorce which have done a lot of, I think, good because a lot of emails came in. One episode invited the other episode. Well, we didn't have a get refuser, but somebody said, you know what? It's great that you're interviewing people who are great. Why don't you get somebody like a get refuser? So that got me thinking. I worked with Keshet Star after thank her for that to help me do that properly. So I found someone who was on a list on a get refuser list, but who did end up giving the get, but he was able to take us through the thought process of what was happening as he was getting divorced. Yeah. And I remember the conversation on the chat then. Well, what that episode had provided is the challenge on the, on the male side of the get. So that was like, I don't think a lot of people had thought that. Because you never thought about that men have an experience as well. Not, the woman is not always right. Yeah. I also gained that perspective. The sex ed panel did very well. It became a resource, just like the Tznias panel that was passed around. The Nida, uh, not the Nida, the Mikvah episode. Oh, I've heard so much feedback from women, especially from more conservative communities, talking about how it has drastically changed their experience. And that's the biggest compliment because that's a big one. It's a hard one. And I made a difference in somebody's very hard mitzvah. And 
I used my platform to do that. And it's just, it feels like a miracle. It's amazing. So that gets me through, you know, some of the other negative things that happen. There's a No More Silence episode that was out. And after it came out, that person got so much pressure from from their family or community to take it down to I, I remember my heart just beating so fast my blood was boiling this is why we did the episode I felt like for many of the survivors it's a nice thing for that specific guest this was a big pivotal moment in that survivor story when it was being said out loud I think for the first time you ended up taking it down? We did not end up taking it down. I, I, I did tell her I'm ready to do it. But we also tried to put pressure. And I think some of it worked. And then some of it blows over. The power of that episode was to show the strength of the family and the damage of a family. That means when your family is good and your grandparents are good and everyone's basically morally good, amazing. You know, you get to derive the benefits of having a good, big family. When you have somebody sick and everyone stands by that person, oh my gosh, it's a cult. And how do you get out of that? And I, and I remember hearing like, okay, so she's in therapy and she got married and hopefully she'll be able to get out of there, but still simchas. And when everybody you know, everybody you grew up with, your, your entire world thinks that that person was totally fine and he, he's like this adored figure, it, it's, yeah. it, was, it was so, so painful. It's not something you move on with. Unless you totally cut ties with your entire family, move to a different state and never have anything to do with them, really cut them off. How do you move on in life when your whole world is, that was, right. There's actually a beautiful relationship formed behind the scenes from one of the survivor episodes who needed a certain figure in their life and that somebody with the opposite experience in that story who had a similar story wanted to connect they both played a very important role for each other in their own healing journeys. So that that was really fun to see. Not fun to see, but so cool that I get first seats to something like that. Something so private. That's really huge. I feel like that's that's the biggest seat book that you, you can have out of your podcast is to see that real, like people getting real help thanks to this platform. Not help like a therapist, but help like somebody who could fill a certain role in your life that no one else could because right were. and it's also the effects of like alcoholics anonymous like you go to this group and you sit in a circle and everybody's going through the same issue and it's this what's the point is basically you're not the only one going through this so for every episode that you listen for the hundreds of people that listen to it thousands millions <laughs> how many of them experience the same thing can relate to 80 percent of it or even if you've never experienced that that issue at all that you can experience so much of the exterior stuff and suddenly suddenly just becomes very real and really important and meaningful. It gives you support. It gives you that emotional support. Like when you go to a parenting class and you're sitting in class with like 40 women and all of them struggle through the morning as getting the kids out and they're all sharing different examples. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm not the only one who thinks it's like the hardest thing to get the kids out in the morning. And you're hearing like crazy stories and you're like, oh, I'm actually pretty good, you know? So it's like it, to go on an episode within your community that shares that that that's a really cool effect another episode that you did was with the older singles and how our community doesn't provide like a respectful status for them and it's like a secondary status which is so wrong and 
It is such a challenge, especially with the Shidduch crisis, and it's so not fair. And I feel like that was really, really important. And when when you did that episode on air, it was not yet spoken about so much. Since then, definitely Miami and the Mishpach have been seeing many more things being written about it, on it. Like, not calling a 28-year-old a girl just because she's not married. She, she, she's a woman. She's a lady. Like, And also after the episode he did with Uncle Bensi on losing a child, of the things to say to animals at a shiver when your child is extremely sick, things to say, things not to say, what is helpful, what is not helpful, and, and just hearing the grieving process and the pain in that. And for us, it was also it was very firsthand. It was just, you touched it on, on, on so many, it's a lot of good activism. <laughs> A lot. No, really, like a lot of work that it makes it things that we normally we're just busy living our lives. And if it's not something that we're personally dealing with, we don't think about it. And then when I click into your podcast, I think about things that I wouldn't have otherwise thought about. So I'm sure I'm speaking on behalf of your entire audience. Yeah, like very often, let's say you're an older single, so you're around Shatchanim, or even though we did have an episode where we had the Shatchanim telling us what they actually think about the singles, what it's like working with them. We had um, that was also another great episode. I felt uh, like I wanted to send Sarah Dina Katz. Yeah, and, and she Shatchanim yeah. did not want to come on. They're like, we cannot talk about this out loud with our names on it, you know. And usually, you're talking, you're preaching to the choir, and on this podcast, you get to give that inner experience, not to the people around you who are all having the same experience, but actually to the people who should be hearing this stuff. Here's some more topics right. that we covered that did well. We had porn addiction, narcissism, addiction, narcotics, abortion, ADHD. I really enjoyed the Bittel Torah panel because it was showing the male perspective on the arts because I spent so many years, two and a half years focusing on women in the arts. There is a dynamic of men in the arts as well. So we had A.B. Ramberg on it and I co-hosted it with some solar. Rev Scott Khan, we did have some Chaliner on there also. And he's so nice. He was in my father-in-law's year. So I, I feel like I had an in to get him on. And two more things. The financial episode where somebody spoke about how poor she was and how she felt so helpless. But then she got out of it. I released it, I think, maybe on Erev Pesach. I have no idea. I, I, that was yeah. one of the only rerun episodes I did. And it did well both times. Something very special about that episode. We, we don't talk enough about money on this podcast, but there's a lot, a lot of issues around money. Not necessarily what's wrong with our educational system, which I, I am nurturing someone on that topic as well. So yeah, there, there are lots of topics. And one more thing before I give it over to you, the feminism, Mahara, yo, etc. So first of all, it's so fun. It gets everyone so fired up is the chat very often and then personal emails and then emails that are sent to me to pass on to the guests. So I don't even know how many messages that guests actually, Danielle, Dr. Bloom told me she didn't, she couldn't handle just walking into the supermarket <laughs> or going into school. Everybody had so many opinions they needed to share with her. And she was like, why did I do this? Today I got an email really? actually to send to her with, it had a long, I listened to her episode <laughs> twice. She had a discussion with somebody who wrote a book who sent in a whole response and she was forwarding the response. I sent it to her. We'll see what happens from that conversation. There's a lot of that. And then there are people who come out to me as LGBT people, all kinds of stuff that I, I get to know. And 
I provide full anonymity because my memory is so horrible. Oh if you're gosh, an anonymous guest, I really might not know who your name is because I, I can't even look it up. I would have to start digging through things to remember I'm sure. who you were. Your so. reset um, episode you're really with Milo, that was also like, you really are able to reach from all over the Jewish spectrum. I remember there was somebody on the ELSS or Tasha something. Oh. I want to, what do you mean, Miguel Esther, that um, pluralistic person? That I have something like, to say about interpreting her. Interpreting Miguel Esther in a way like, whoa, okay. <laughs> Never heard of that one before. So she, she was non-denominational. And I, she was posting so much pro-Palestine stuff on Instagram. And I got, I got so heated with her. She blocked me and it, it hasn't ended well. I hope she For comes me, this around. is like the biggest struggle right now. The amount of anti-Semitism from outside, okay. But when it's coming from inside, like really supporting people that want to dead. It's like she was trying to explain to me how this is the, her ultimate Judaism is is hugging those Palestinians in America and saying we're in this together. And no, 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 your people came in and butchered our people. There's no like we're crying for the Gazan children together. They're promising what? to do it again and again and again. Well, their claim is that the Palestinians are not Hamas. So that's the claim. Those children are not Hamas. And there's so much evidence showing that you can't really tell who's Hamas, who's not. So looking at a little child, a four-year-old, obviously, like we can't blame little kids for the indoctrination they're in. And they're not really posing a threat as a tiny little kid. Once they're 11 years old and they're being handed Kalashnikovs, they're very dangerous. And, and it gets very complex. And, and then they're being used as spotters for Hamas to IDF troopers who are standing on booby-trapped grounds. And when this unarmed lady calls up Hamas and says, there are four IDF soldiers here, and then they shoot them down because of that spotter, that spotter is not a civilian. So it's really, really complicated. And it's really sad to see when little children die. But it, at this point, the answer is basically, if we're not going to finish this, it's going to happen again. It's going to happen to our children. That's basically like... Either their children or our children. If we have to choose over our children or their children, we have to choose our children. That's the bottom line. But uh, is it a picnic? Are we happy about the death? No. And that's the difference. We're not parading there with like, oh, we killed so many people or we killed so many children. We're actually devastated by it. And we need to go to therapy. You see those videos of little four-year-old and it's, it's gut-wrenching. Like, it's it's not easy to see that. No, it's, it's really sad. War is horrible. We didn't start this war and we don't want October 7th to happen again. And that's what we're doing. That's what we're fighting, basically. I mean, we never have to do this again. Oh, my gosh. It's just unbearable. Hashem should just have this be over as soon as possible and we should have a decisive victory and be safe and that all the inner displaced will be able to go back right. to their border towns because if they can't then so a year ago i wanted to do something cool and have someone on who was in a war so we had my cousin Sumcha meyer on and i thought it was so exotic to have someone talk about war now he, he spent months on the on the northern, northern border, border. It, it just hit so close to home. And I appreciate Tali and her mother for recommending her daughter to come and talk about her experience as a wife of a reservist. And it, it was just, Incredible. it was an honor to talk to her and to be able to ask these questions and thank her and send a package that took months to be able to arrange. It happens to be some Chamayer sister-in-law makes packages and delivers to areas to, that are um, outside of Jerusalem. But what were you saying? You know, that episode, just hearing how much he's juggling on her own, and also the, the work that her husband specifically is doing. I, mean, I think he's collecting corpses or the, the dead soldiers, and it's 
and just to be in a, the inside dynamic of a of the wife of a reservist, it was. Do you hear my biases, biases when I ask questions or through certain episodes? Yeah, sometimes, sometimes I hear them, and and that's okay because I mean. Are you pretending to be totally unbiased? Sometimes you're like, okay, for devil's advocate purposes, you're asking a certain question, but sometimes you really disagree with certain things. Like when you were speaking with Bailu and you were really trying to understand the anti-Zionist stance. It makes sense. It's like hard to understand as you're in Hushkafa, which totally goes against what you're thinking. And you're like, and it's hard to... And I, oh, I love when audience members message oh. me as they're listening. First of all, in general, I love that. But secondly, it's like, oh, I, I could hear how fired up you're getting. So I had that with the Bailu episode. Some people. I, I think also with the money questions. I remember in a few places I heard your bias, but I feel like that you're not hiding it. Like if a certain person is trying to pretend that they don't have they don't have any bias, th- th- then it's wrong. Like CNN or <laughs> any of these <laughs> newspapers pretending, oh, we're we don't we're just reporting the truth. Like, no, so I feel like you're. You're open with your own experiences, with your own upbringing, with your own opinions on stuff. When you hear things that contradict that, you want, you want to get down to the, you, you want to dig in a little bit deeper. And that's, that's what makes the conversation so authentic and interesting and fresh and original. And, and while you're thinking on the spot and you're thinking of new questions and while you're digging through, I'm like, oh, I didn't think of that. That's such a good question. Like, and then I hear the person's answer. I'm like, oh, that's a really good answer, you know? So, so it's like, I'm going along for the ride. <laughs> I, don't, I don't prepare questions unless my guests specifically request them. Uh, and I think I do that on purpose, but also because I'm lazy <laughs> or I don't have time. I'm happy with what comes out uh, naturally from the conversation. I want to share something actually you reminded me. It was very liberating for me to get to know who my audience is more when, during, I think it was the last election. Clearly, I have a more conservative audience, even though some of my closest friends and relatives are on the left side and who knows post October 7th, where everyone lies, but I was in a coaching group that was helping me with my business. It was a very woke group. And it actually took me over a year with therapy and all kinds of things to recover from that experience because of how woke it was. I didn't realize what woke was when it was happening, but it was so woke. And there was so much guilt that I was like, I mean, uh, there's just wow. so much I had to deal with. And then when I, you when we did the pl- recorded episode about that, <laughs> I tried actually, I reached episode. out to people asking about their coaching experiences and if they feel like they were scammed on a financial way. It was like a D. No, it was for business women, essentially business women with online services and products. I made my money back. So it wasn't like, and plus it was, it, it did its job. It just, it, it tormented me mentally a lot, which I had to do a lot of work to recover. But I remember doing the political debate where we had SD on once again, and people reached out and I was just getting that feedback that the people listening, or at least the people who reached out were not woke. And all the feelings I was feeling at the time being in that program, I wasn't crazy. And there were other people and it was a very, very liberating feeling to know that I'm not the crazy one. Like nobody was yeah. Okay. And, and now we're in election year again. And that's, that's one of the reasons right now, since post October 7th, so many Jews who are not usually members of shuls and like not consistent shul goers suddenly because of the amount of anti-Semitism they're feeling at work and they're feeling so isolated. Yeah. And let's say any TV channel you open up, it's showing the destruction in Gaza all the time. And everyone's constantly talking about how horrible and genocidal and, and you're observing. And then you just, you want to go to a shul where you'll just feel like, okay, actually we're on the right side of history, you know? 
There are other people who think and, and feel like such me. a yeah. height and, and people going, starting to look for the Jewish. And this other person that on Twitter was just writing, I, I need to come to Israel. I need to come to Israel. He just like, wants to be surrounded by like-minded people. I'm so grateful just, that I'm yeah. coming next month. I'm writing this concert. I'm so excited. And, oh my gosh. And I am, I'm really, I feel like I'm getting over a lot of my discomfort and fears to do this, not just the trip, but the concert that I'm writing and going to perform, God willing. I want to talk about one more experience, unless something else pops up, of an episode that didn't go live. I felt like I wanted to share this with my audience. I did share, I posted about it on my chat when it happened, but I interviewed the daughter of Julia Hart, Miriam Hart, and I attacked her basically with my questions that I <laughs> think I had naively prepared. What? I feel like a lot of the people in the world were feeling. Well, the question that she was, she was most that she was actually attacked by was, "Don't you feel like with anti-Semitism rising, and that was around Kanye West and all that? How can you be doing what you're doing, knowing how you're adding fuel to the fire of anti-Semitism, essentially?" And I think I hit a nerve there because. Either she didn't look into me and just said yes to being interviewed and didn't do much research, which is fine. But it, it turned into a very ugly conversation. I maybe felt that way once other one one other time in my life. Like it was horrible. Like I needed two hours until my heart rate was back to um, to baseline. It, it was pretty heated for me. So that obviously didn't make it on because she took her her consent back. But it's something I wanted to put out there sharing that I go through experiences like these. And there were some other guest experiences after the episode came out how that, that were ugly and uncomfortable. And hopefully they were resolved. <laughs> so now I have the ethics and honors committee. But before then, I would just call my father, daddy up and be like, what do I do? <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing those days that I'm crying because of the podcast. Yeah. And I want to thank all my sponsors over the years. So the content itself very often is very emotionally exhausting. <laughs> and besides that, you have to have all the interpersonal skills and maneuverings in order to just make it happen and then to have a, a pleasant experience. Like, I never even thought of that. But yeah, those yeah, days, so sometimes I have like a day with three episodes, very rarely, but it has happened Whoa. when I needed to jam pack them in. <sighs> oh, those were so hard. By the third one. People make it so fast. Oh, so easy. Just start podcast. Just start recording and download Anchor and whatever, you know, like, hello. What are you talking about? Launching a podcast or doing an episode? Launching a podcast. Because just this episode, we spent 25 minutes trying to get everyone's microphones to get stand. Get started. And then I don't know how much editing you're going to do. Sometimes I'm so frustrated with the guests. Sometimes they reschedule and cancel several times. I am so careful to never have to cancel or reschedule. But sometimes I get on the episode. By the time I'm looking at their face when the microphone's working and everything's working, I just want to punch them in the face. because. But I have to put on a smile, take a deep breath and have a very good conversation. Because if I went through so much already to have them on. So you're an excellent performer because in all the episodes, you sound like you're in an amazing mood and everything is just. Well, having the conversation usually lights lights it up and brightens it, makes it all better. And uh, there, there have been several episodes that I recorded that didn't come out for different reasons. So that also goes on behind the scenes. 
have a theory to share. I don't know if it's yeah. regarding when you asked, when you asked Miriam Hart, whether like publishing about the issues in the firm world or the negative sides to it is just it's contributing to so much anti-Semitism. But you know who I'm talking about? Miriam Hart, right? Yeah. From My Unorthodox Life on Netflix. Remember, she moved to Germany. That was Feldman. She wrote that memoir. So she lives in Germany now and she's coming out with so much anti-Israel rhetoric, how we're horrible, committing genocide and all of that. And, and she grew up, uh, it was either Satmar or something. My theory is that when your childhood, when you had to deal with such crazy rejection in your childhood, you can't recover from it. And part of dealing with it is just going all out against the community. That's my theory. I'm like, how could a Jew who's living in Germany I mean, it's also a big money gig. Like a lot of news people want to interview you if you're a Jew and you're speaking against Israel. Like that's very popular right now. So I don't know if that's what's motivating someone. So you're saying that for the extreme environment leads to the opposite yeah. extreme? Is that what you're saying? That means when you deal rejection from the community in your childhood, as an adult, you're going to basically shove it under the bus with all deliberation and purpose. <laughs> Menachem actually has this principle. There is an expiration date to your childhood trauma, meaning you cannot blame your childhood trauma and use that as an excuse for the rest of your life. You have to figure it out, go through. So I don't think Yeltsin is saying that she's anti-Israel today because she didn't have parents that showed her love and she, she was raised by a grandmother who was so hard. You're saying she, does, she didn't get the memo that that's the theory. Yeah, I don't think she thinks that. I think that. Like, I'm trying to understand, like, wholeheartedly, how can one say such horrible things about your own people? We're so outnumbered already. Like, we don't need it. People from the inside being against us, you know? Well, there are a lot of people who have been awakened and feel like, where are my people and why am I not surrounded by them? But those are my people and I need to connect. And Kirov's booming right now. <laughs> Bottom line, it's in style. <laughs> Let's take advantage. <laughs> For me, I was a passive community member. And now that October 7th happened. I have to participate. I'm so grateful for all the community systems that we have in place that were here to support me when this happened. And I had somewhere to go and I had on Simchas Torah, I was in shul and, and I was around people and everything that was provided to us around this was catered for us to get us through this with each other. So it's, it's horrible for the people who don't have that kind of network to begin with. And they had to look for it and op opt into it and, and realize that all the people around them hate them. <laughs> and that's horrible. No, the people you thought were your friends or the people you thought the people you're sitting in the next cubicle next to you are just tweeting horrible things about or you. even the person you're dating. So much has surfaced. I had it a little bit different. I feel like it was interesting here in Israel, like there was this deliberate decision among many, like not to be tuned into news 24 seven in order to just like protect your sanity. And I work in social media. So <laughs> never spent so much time on social media as I did since October 7th. But suddenly I have all these accounts and I'm supposed to make certain statements for the organization I work for. But then I have access to just read anything and everything. And it was, I, I was, it was horrible, horrible. And to find my few individual people who were also exposed to what I was being, I made sure not to watch anything because I didn't want the visuals to go into my mind, but I was reading articles and I was listening to testimonies and that's enough to, that for those, I mean, so to find my few individual friends who I also knew that they knew what, what you basically, there was this unwritten rule. You're not going to, don't depress anyone. Don't say, oh my gosh, you know what I just, you know what I just heard? Do not do that. Everyone's just trying to cope. 
But then I also needed a few friends that I had that we would just call up and we would just cry. We would just sit on the phone and cry together. And I needed that. I needed that going through because people did not want to. At first, I would say, oh, my gosh, this. And people say, like, stop. Don't, don't tell me this. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. And it's like, survive. The least we can know is. I'm actually doing a panel on this specific topic. It's going to be recorded next uh, at the end of this month. And we're having a few people on journalists and therapists to discuss this exact dynamic of how much should we be engaging? Should we be engaging? And are we negligent or actually doing a disservice to our people? We touched upon that a little bit on the episode, on the Holocaust episode with. Yeah, you did touch on that. Alana. And that was also a really, really great episode. And it was an honor to interview my uh, grandmother and great aunt and grandfather for that Holocaust Remembrance Day like episode I did a while back. You're not shutting down the podcast, right? No, you're asking. I have no episodes for next week. And this is something I've been wanting to do. And can I tell you why I wanted to do this? Okay, because it sounds a bit like you're paying tribute, like making a Leviathan to that podcast. I am doing this episode because I would like to be able to say this is what I represent and this is what I speak about. And people could invite me to their communities. Meaning on the podcast, I am the vehicle through which a conversation happens. I am not the conversation. I am not the topic. So I'm getting back into performing and singing. But I, the Francisco show has a value as something that we created here. That can be something that can be shared and explored and created as an event that is intellectually engaging and provoking. And this episode is here to facilitate the possibilities of what can happen and what I can speak to. So it's an exploratory slash I'm telling everyone I'm proclaiming what I would like to see. And that's sort of you're asking if I'm shutting down the podcast. No, I'd like to take it further. No, I'm happy to hear it because when you started like thanking people to the past, it almost happened like <laughs> this is a tribute to the podcast, but I'd like to use this episode to grow. And this is the episode that explains what the podcast is about, essentially, if the little description or intro doesn't give you enough, because there are other so many incredible podcasts that do similar things. I wanted to know that I try out new podcasts frequently and I usually get into like four minutes and then I can't listen to one. But you do have some podcasts you are big fans of. I hear you quoting. I have four podcasts that I listen. I wait for their episodes to drop. Yeah, I have like four. So somebody has to be really good to be a fifth podcast. For somebody who has nothing, you have a lower bar, but you already filled up many of your hours. So you have to be really good to make it. But also very well people need breaks from their podcasts. Yeah. Like at some point, I, I just couldn't listen to about American politics anymore. <laughs> oh, I can't listen to American politics. <laughs> I, I didn't listen to my American politics podcast for a while. And then sometimes I want to hear, you know, opinions I differ from. So I go and I log into, I was subscribed to him. And then he was saying such horrible things about Israel and subscribed to him. But I, I just wanted to hear like what the other side of the world was thinking. And I would listen to his stuff and then see like, am I able, just the knowledge that I have to be able to fortify and strengthen my own opinion, I would listen to people I differ yeah. with. The same part of me that doesn't like promoting music or the same thing over and over again is the same part that doesn't want to talk about elections a year before elections. <laughs> I already can't listen to that. Anyway, <laughs> we have to wrap up. Let's have some closing remarks. So a huge call. Let me quote. And I want to thank Rivka Harris, Rivka Ween Harris. She's the one who told me to start a podcast. I, you started a podcast when I think blogs were so popular. I remember when I had to explain to people that I do a podcast. What's a podcast? Now I don't have to do that anymore. Yeah, now it's like everyone has a podcast, but 
You were going to say something. No, that you really, you created a product and it wasn't a complete product. It evolved and as it evolved, it improved. And even today, when you go back to the first episodes, there's so much there. So it's just been an amazing, with so much forward vision and so much earnest desire to make, just improve the status for whoever you're speaking for. So whether that's a woman who's trying to sell paintings or get her music out there and to be recognized and to be able to feel, I remember with your music episodes, just to make a woman feel worthy that yes, you're allowed to charge for shopping three hours by car and paying tolls into some basement and to perform your ladder charge. And if, and you can't just be like, Oh, it's going to be a wonderful mitzvah. Like, no, if all my equivalent talented male counterparts can charge several thousand dollars just for this, I should also be able to do that. So I remember that was one of your your like campaigns in those episodes was to come down and say I was very frustrated, Magiela, like, <laughs> with the industry. It is so frustrating because it's like, oh come over, it's, it's a great cause. Yeah, leave your kids for the whole evening and come sing for us and make it wonderful. Like if Shweki's not doing it, so Collider is not doing it. So I remember that was like really really important, giving self worth to women who are Shomark Belisha and that are so incredibly talented. So that was. A wonderful thing and then just going along to talking to survivors and and anybody struggling with anything it's just to, the more awareness and knowledge there is the more comfort we create and the more tools and resources you provide for the people and all of it is the beauty is that it's, it stays inside the community so it, feel, it has this like yeah. image feeling and you see the journey of this whole podcast yeah the, the one with the miscarriage like I remember hearing a miscarriage from a podcast. It was an Andrew's podcast, and I got a lot of awareness, and I learned a lot about it. But hearing it from somebody whose firm was going through it, and somebody, your neighbor who might have had gone through it, might not feel comfortable telling you about it. But if you are listening it to the same voice and the same person who's stressed out with Shabbos and has guests at the table and had that same experience, and you're hearing it so firsthand through the podcast, that's such a big service that you're doing, and creating so much empathy for whoever goes through that experience, especially because the scavengers are so extremely yeah. long. And that was something I wanted to hear more about and to hear like the right things to say. And I can go on and on literally all night saying how this pertains to every single topic. Well, I actually went on someone else's podcast, talk about my miscarriage. And I found that to be so healing that I realized how important some of the, like the no more silence series, I realized from the other side what I'm doing for the other people an element in that that it was so healing those anonymous were not necessarily i wasn't anonymous and people who reached out to me i've sent them the link to the episode i shared a lot but listening to that episode gave me so much understanding that when i had close friends go through it you understand what they're talking about at least I, yeah and I, and I was able to i feel to give the right amount of empathy and and just be with the person and you ask what what is the appropriate response what do you want to hear what do you not want to hear what is the person thinking and now an episode with infertility oh my gosh like those episodes really, you want to know the right way to behave and the right, what's the right thing to say, what's not the right thing to say. So many of these topics, I was so grateful to hear a person who's lived it say, at the Shiva, I do not want to be hearing this. I want to be hearing this. Yeah, someone reached out asking me to connect her with a Yoetzet because she feels that's something she needs in her life. And I was just so honored to have potentially educated her about it and connected her with somebody or been that source that someone could reach out to and ask for help, which is something I do all the time. But this just happened last week. One of my best friends is from Old Gateshead. It was like totally Old Gateshead type. And Julie loves listening to your episodes. 
And yeah, there are certain episodes that she felt very uncomfortable with and or very depressing and whatnot. But she goes back to them and now and then she sends me messages of just like how how incredible. Another episode that I didn't mention was that she did with disabilities. That was also that I had like such a positive tone to it. That was really beautiful. Ellie Porter. And then I have friends who are like very egalitarian, very, very left, very anti-occupation, anti-apartheid, actually by all of that vocabulary. And I love listening to your podcast when you interviewed Rubini Dasi Froster and Le Mahara. And also now where the music industry is for the women, it's just amazing to see what has happened since I started the podcast. It's, since a, different I started in this, it's a different world. And I try to bring up new topics by the time people listen to them or find the show. They're not new anymore. But I definitely feel like I'm a part of the movement of pushing those boundaries cutting and opening edge. up <laughs> cutting edge. So no, that's the point. The topics that you discuss is like way before everybody else jumps on them, you know, so that that's. Yeah. In a subtle that way. Like That's exactly what I was trying to say. <laughs> Thank you so much, Rachel. You were perfect for this conversation. Because I'm so happy. I feel so safe around you. And I know you give me so much support and chizuk, emotional and intellectual, when it comes to this podcast. And sometimes I'm like, why am I doing this? And then I'll get a voice note from you. And it gives me that encouragement. No, I'm really, really one of your, uh, I think I'm your biggest fan. You're so intelligent and that you're quick on your feet and you ask such good questions that I myself would not have thought of. And then you ask them, I'm like, wow. And, um, I do edit so, the episode. So like I'll cut out me thinking about my question. I'll, I'll, I will put that out there <laughs> and I'll plug my podcasting services. I help people launch podcasts. Thanks, Rachel. Thanks so much for doing this episode with me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening until the end. I hope you enjoyed. Please keep reaching out. It's great hearing from you. Let me know if you like this episode and if you'd like a follow-up. See you next time.